God doesn't tempt you to sin. That's clear from verse 14. But God does test your faith so that you might persevere. Now you say, that sounds a little bit like uh, gobbledygook. God doesn't tempt me to sin, but God does test me. Well, what happens if he tests me and I end up sinning in the process? Well, that means that the test has become for you a temptation because of your own desires. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Pastor Lance Quinn's important series, Battles with Temptation, taken from the book of James, chapter one. Life was hard for believers during the first century. Their possessions, their livelihoods, and their very lives were often on the line. James no doubt had this in mind when exhorting his readers to count it all joy when trials come. Taken in a godly way, trials produced completeness. Part two today looks at desire, and Pastor Lance goes to James chapter one, verses 13 through 15 to look at temptation, desire, and sin. James said it this way, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Pastor Lance wants us to be clear that testing can come from our Lord to make us stronger in our faith. However, temptations, when combined with desire, lead to sin and destruction. Here's part two of Battles with Temptation. This might be a good place to talk about the word desire, epithumia. This is another one of those words, just like parasmos, about trial or temptation. Epithumia, depending on its context, here it's negative, but in some other contexts, it's entirely positive. For instance, uh, turn with me over in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is, of course, the text that talks about the qualifications of an elder. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, here's what the scripture says. The saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 3, 1. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. That word desires is epithemia. It's from that Greek family of words. Uh, epi is the intensification of the word thumos, is like uh, force, or uh, sometimes even in the context of uh, anger. So it's a kind of um, desire. Uh, and then the epi on the front of the word intensifies it, a strong desire. And of course, I said this is a positive context, isn't it? This is a, a godly man, a, a person who aspires to the office of overseer, if he's uh, aspiring to that office and he's a godly man and he meets these qualifications, then Paul tells Timothy, this is a noble desire. It's a good desire. It's a godly desire. It's a God-focused desire. It's a God-honoring desire. That's the same word in our text here in James chapter 1. When someone's lured and enticed by his own desire, then that's entirely negative. And of course, yes, it could come from Satan. Yes, it could come from his devils, yes, it can come from the world. But one thing is true. Satan's not mentioned here, as I said. Now, he is mentioned in the book of James, in James chapter 4, verse 7, when it says, you know, flee the devil or resist the devil, and he's a culprit. Resist him. Uh, don't follow him. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. But he's not mentioned until the fourth chapter. Here, James chapter 1, it's just talking about you and your own desires. So when we're talking about desires in a negative context, it's talking about the kind of birth into sin that he uses a metaphor in verse 15. And it is so 
incredibly vivid. Look at verse 15. Then desire, that very word, epithumia, then desire when it has conceived. Notice the, the sort of metaphor of a, of a, a birthing context. The desire uh, leads to the conception, which then gives way to the birth. What kind of birth? It says a birth to sin. And then when sin grows up, it comes to full maturity, it brings forth what? Death. But what a vivid picture. You have the desire first. See, it all starts in the mind. It all starts with the motive of the heart. Uh, yes, there's Satan's role out there. Uh, we, we don't always know where he is and what he's doing and how he's trying to tempt us, solicit us to do evil. But we know this, that there are times when Satan could be a thousand miles away and uh, even the world's allurements may or may not be there, but it just begins in the human heart, even of a Christian, that I have a desire for something that I don't have or I'm trying to fulfill something in my heart that I want and it becomes an inordinate desire, a sinful desire, a wicked desire. Each person's tempted when he is lured, yes, enticed, yes, but it starts with the desire of the heart. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, fully grown, brings death. You see, when you talk to your counselees, when you, you talk to your own heart, you ask, what is my desire? What's my motive? Why do I want this that I can't have? Or why do I try to stay from something that I actually should pursue? This is why this text is so important for us as Bible teachers, counseling-related persons and problems. It's so important for us even as fellow Christians, even in the deep recesses of our own heart. We're trying to find out, why do I do what I do? This sounds sort of like Romans 7, doesn't it? Paul saying, the things I don't do that I should, uh, the things that I do that I shouldn't, what, what's going on? What's happening? Oh, wretched man. This is what James 1 says by way of his divine commentary. And when you read this, the scripture is very clear that it isn't coming from God. He tempts no one, nor is he tempted. And so this is coming from our own heart. God doesn't solicit anyone to do evil. So, so what then do you tell those you're discipling, those you're counseling regarding their desires? Do what James, our Lord Jesus' brother, does. Ask first about those desires. Do you see the digression there? Desire, when it has conceived, verse 15, gives birth to sin. Ask them not about the sin, but about their desire. What did you want? What were your motives in desiring this or that? Because you see, if you allow desire to run uncurbed, then it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. There's a kind of death spiral uh, when people's desires are unchecked. So we're really talking about getting at the heart of the motives of a person. And perhaps they don't even know what their motives are or the motives of their heart are, are, are cloudy. They, they don't understand uh, what it is that's happening particularly. And that's why you as a counselor, you come alongside them. Uh, you show them. You teach them this particular passage. Uh, perhaps you would take uh, James 1.15 about uh, desire conceiving sin and, and uh, 
becoming fully grown and bringing forth death. Perhaps you give them some homework assignments about what did you desire? What did you not have that you wanted? Or what did you want that you didn't have? What are the things that are, that are lurking in the shadows of the deep recesses of your heart that could give birth not only to sin, but a fully grown death spiral uh, to a place that you and I uh, would see as dark and foreboding? This is what James is describing. And he says there in verse 16, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. This is deception at work here. And deception lurks in the human heart. It lurks in the the world and its allurements, and it works in the satanic domain. No wonder we're talking about the very topic of our conference, destroying strongholds. This is a stronghold, the human heart. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, of course, and also 7 and 8, that uh, sin must not have its mastery over me. And if I'm a true Christian then sin will not master me because sin's mastery is broken uh, by the power of Christ through the gospel. But it doesn't mean that sin is uh, completely vanquished and it's, it's gone from our lives at the moment of our salvation. No, we're talking, about, we're talking about the fight to the death here. We're talking about the fight of life. We're talking about uh, the, the fight of faith. And you and I, we must know how to do it. You say, well, you, you've certainly described the problem. This is temptation, and this is that second word, desire, this hideous thing we call desire in this negative context. Well, what's the answer? How, how, do, we, how do we look at these things in the right way? We'll go back to James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, brothers and sisters. Count it all joy <laughs> after, after what you've just said? Lance, how can I count it all joy? We're talking about temptation. We're talking about Satan and the world. We're talking about my own evil desires, even in a regenerate person's heart. How can this be joyful? Well, it can because James says, count it all joy. It doesn't mean it's all joy, but you can count it all joy. How and why? When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, remember what I told you. Trials. This is talking about God using the elements of all that's at his providential disposal to test me. Why? Because the verse goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith. God doesn't tempt you to sin. That's clear from verse 14. But God does test your faith so that you might persevere. And you say, that sounds a little bit like uh, gobbledygook. God doesn't tempt me to sin, but God does test me. Well, what happens if he tests me and I end up sinning in the process? Well, that means that the test has become for you a temptation because of your own desires. Don't blame it on God. Don't blame it on the devil. Don't blame it on the world. Blame it on your own desires. That's why James 1 speaks of it in that way, by his or her own desire. But here in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let this steadfastness or, or endurance have its full effect, which means that you're beginning to pass the test. You're seeing that it is God who is bringing it to you, 
that God is the one providentially orchestrating all various kinds of trials in your life so that you would be steadfast, an abiding faith, a fully affected, perfect, complete faith as you are continuing to be sanctified, lacking in nothing, the Bible says. And if, if you and I are seeing Scripture for what it really says, then we're thanking God for the test of our living faith. We're asking God to show me how the test is producing this endurance in me. And when you do, a whole vista of help opens up to you. You say, how so? Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, or he doesn't hold back, and it will be given to him. Do you see the promise there? Encourage your counselees. Encourage them to hold on to the promise that something will be given to the Christian that he will receive generously, the Bible says, because he's asked God for it. So you're praying and you're asking God for something and you're asking him for what? Wisdom. Wisdom. Now that's not some... uh, airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky wisdom, uh, something that comes to you from above. This is uh, wisdom from the Word. This is the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, His own inspired Word, to give you illumination from the Word that will give you the right kind of wisdom at the right kind of time, and that God will give you generously such wisdom so that you can pass the test. Now, I need to say something about this word test here. It's not the same word as trials, parasmos. It's the word dokimos, dokimos. And it too has both a positive and a negative context to it. Sometimes the word dokimos is used like in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, where Paul says, examine yourselves, Corinthians, to see whether you're in the faith. Or do you not know this, that Jesus Christ lives in you unless you are And depending on your translation, discredited or disqualified, that's the word dokimos. You're you're tested and found unworthy of the kingdom. He's saying to the Corinthians, look, you better examine your life. You better examine your faith. You better examine your confession of Christ. Because uh, if you know Jesus Christ, it will be evident as God tests you because your faith will remain steadfast. It will grow. It will have its full effect. You'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if you're not genuine, if uh, dokimos has the little alpha privative before it, uh, a dokimos, that means tested and found unworthy, not worthy. That's a negative context there in 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and following. But here, it's in a positive context, knowing that the dokimos of your faith, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Why? Because you, you can ask God and he will give generously. Satan doesn't do that. The world doesn't do that. Your own sinful desires of the human heart, it doesn't do that. It greedily seeks the opposite of that. But here, if you ask God, he'll give generously to you. doesn't hold back. And you'll be given the wisdom from the word to know how to be pleasing to God in passing the test. And then verse 6, but let him ask in faith. So let him ask God, verse 5, and verse 6, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts 
is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, if you doubt God's wisdom, if you doubt God's generous gift, if you don't ask him in faith, but you ask with doubting, then you are actually failing the test. And the test ceases to be a test from God and it becomes a temptation from your own desires. You see the difference? This is a testing. God's testing you. And you know, this word for test means to examine. It means to approve. It means that there's an investigation going on. God's carrying on an investigation. In Psalm 66.10, listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 66.10. For you, O God, have tested us. In the Greek Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's our, our word Dokimos, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You see, Dokimos was that word, that word for test that uh, could be an eye test. Somebody's looking at gold uh, that uh, might actually be mixed with that which is not gold. And you have to try to find out how much of this is real, how much of this is genuine. And they even had what they called a touchstone. And you rub that stone against the uh, gold stone to see how much gold was there. Uh, what's the validity of this? What's the truthfulness of this? What's the genuineness of this? Or uh, they had uh, in Dakimas uh, uh, a kind of uh, weight test uh, where they would uh, test uh, the weight of gold to, to see how much gold was there uh, when they weighted against uh, other things, uh, that which was its opposite. And then they came as uh, agriculture and, uh, and testing became more acute, uh, the idea of the refiner's fire. And Dakimas uh, was that idea that uh, in metallurgy, uh, you would place those precious metals, gold and silver and copper, and you place them into ref the refiner's fire, and then you turned up with the intensity of the heat so that all the dross, all of the impurities would fade away, and what would remain as you took the substances out was nothing but pure gold or silver or copper. This is what God is doing when he's testing us. He's not soliciting evil in us, but he is testing us, trying us, to bring us forth as gold and silver. Oh, I love what Proverbs 17, 3 says, The crucible is for silver, and furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. You see, the Lord does test. He doesn't tempt. He doesn't solicit someone to do evil, but He does test so that we could come forth as gold. Proverbs 27, 21, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise or by his reputation. You know, what, what do people think about me? Well, you say, I'm more concerned about what God thinks of me. And do you remember Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, listen to this, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Oh, my friends, as we wrap up our session together, I want to challenge you to understand the very, very important passage here in James 1. And I want you to see how temptation, negative context, means that it's a solicitation by my own heart to bring forth sin. But then you can turn it on its ear and say, 
Yeah, well, I don't want to be involved in that, but I do want to know what God is doing in my life. And according to verses 2, 3, and 4, he tests me. And he brings various trials in my life so that I might be steadfast and enduring. And I have to ask him for wisdom, and I have to do so in faith. And when the testing comes to me, that testing will be so that I would come forth as gold. Temptation, desire, trials, and even the testing, if we could add that fourth word. This is the way that you destroy strongholds, even the stronghold of your own heart. Can I read a, another passage as we close? 1 Peter chapter 1. This is what it says, and this will be a memorable place for us to end. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That's our word parasmas. So that the tested, that's dokimas, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, think about that refiner's fire, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, God is testing us. And when he puts us in the refiner's fire, all of the impurities perish because it has been tested by the fire so that you and I may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These passages extremely important, not only for our own lives as counselors, but for our counselees as well. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, as we close our time, we have seen the precious truth from your word that James 1 tells us very, very clearly, if you're being tested, it's from God, and it's for the purpose of the strengthening and steadfastness and endurance of your faith, that it might grow because you're asking for wisdom, and you're asking in faith without doubting. But if your faith is flagging, if your faith seems to be subverted, it may be because not that God is testing you, but that your own desires have brought you a kind of temptation that has, when it's conceived, birthed sin. And sin to such a degree that it's forming its fully grown path and brings forth a death spiral so that you're living in a dark place. Oh, Father, I pray for counselor and counselee alike that the temptation could manifest itself rather into a test and that the desire could go from one that is entirely negative to the noble desire, the, the Godward desire to, to pass the test so that our desires are holy and righteous and good. Father, we know we're tested because you are testing us to bring us forth out of the refiner's fire into being pure gold vessels for your use. May we do that as counselors, and may we do that for our counselees, for your glory and honor and praise at the revelation of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are listening to Timeless Truth Today. Believers can often confuse trials with sin, but godly testing and trials don't come as a result of sin in our lives. Today, Pastor Lance was careful not to conflate trials with sin. We can be living obediently before God and still go through trials. 
It is important that we see the hand of God in our testing. It's also important to know that temptation is often born of our own desire. If you've followed Christ in obedience, He will help change your negative desires. You know, there's always more to hear and learn on our website, TimelessTruthToday.org, TimelessTruthToday.org. On the homepage, click Broadcast for our entire searchable archive of all of Pastor Lance's Bible-based messages, including this series. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Lance Quinn, an outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California, and is listener-supported. If you're in the area and don't have a home church, you're invited to worship with us. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Or go online for the live stream. The link is on the church website, bethanyto.org. Come Monday, we begin an intriguing five-part series titled, John the Baptist and Jesus as Evangelists. I'm Matt Williams. Hope you have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.